Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's a Netflix uh, documentary, docudrama, not a documentary according to the um, a prosecutor of Stephen Avery, but uh, to many others it is a documentary. It's called Making a Murderer, and it has captured the attention of North Americans and beyond North America, and it has to do with Stephen Avery of Wisconsin, who was wrongfully convicted of rape in 1985. He was in prison for 18 years before being exonerated and released, and uh, subsequently charged and convicted of the murder of Teresa Hallback. And that's resulted in a massive social media response and petitions to pardon, or at least retry Avery, on the murder conviction. As many viewers believe Avery was set up by the same sheriff's department in uh, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, which wrongfully worked on the conviction of Avery on rape almost two decades earlier. I have just started, I mean literally just started, to watch The uh, Making a Murderer, but I've read a great deal about it, pages and pages and pages of it. And we will um, include some calls uh, from you at 888 as we go through this half hour. You can call anytime you want, 888-225-8255. If you're in Toronto, 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400. Do you believe Stephen Avery is innocent or do you believe he's guilty? The governor of Wisconsin has said that he's not, not going to get involved and he's not going to give a pardon or he's not going to call for a retrial of Avery. One triple eight two two five eight two five five four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. My numbers. If you have a view on Stephen Avery, you want to share. Um, joining me is Russell Silverstein. He's a criminal defense lawyer in Toronto. He is also the co-president of AIDWIC, the Association in Defense of the Wrongfully Convicted in Canada. AIDWIC is responsible for reopening of murder and other convictions when the association believes there is a genuine need to do so. And they have been very successful, very successful. And you've heard some of the men on this program in having even murder convictions overturned. It was all started by Reuben Hurricane Carter, the former middleweight boxing champion. And I remember doing the, uh, doing a number of programs with Reuben Carter in studio when he started AIDWIC. Mr. Silverstein, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to join us. My pleasure. Uh, just a generic question in, in Canada. Let's just look at this country for a second. How frequently do you think men and women in Canada are sent to prison, even though they're not guilty of the crime for which they're convicted? Is there any, is there a number? Is there a projected number? Well, I think the more serious the crime, the less likely that is going to happen, but it does happen. At the lower end of our criminal justice system, where people are charged with minor offenses and don't get bail, I think there's an extraordinary number of people who plead guilty to offenses they didn't commit in order to avoid the pain of staying in custody and uh, the cost of having a trial and perhaps spending more time in jail trying to vindicate themselves. But when it comes to murder, um, it happens now and then. It's happened many times in our history and continues to happen. In the United States, and we're looking at Stephen Avery, and we'll talk about him in a second. In the United States, is the situation similar or very different to the one in Canada? Uh, well, it's similar, but it's a bigger problem because it's a bigger country, and it has ten times our population. And so uh, you see more wrongful convictions in the United States simply by virtue of the number, and sometimes because of the uh, difficulty people have at finding fair trials in certain parts of the United States where 
um, the question of race plays a more important role than it does here. The Stephen Avery Netflix documentary, let's call it a documentary, it's easier that way, um, raises the specter of not only a wrongful conviction, which was the case in Avery, spending 18 years in prison for an attempted rape murder of Penny Bernstein, who identified him as her assailant, DNA evidence would declare Avery innocent of the crime. Meanwhile, a declared dangerous offender, Gregory Allen, who was being followed and under nonstop surveillance, except on the exact day Penny Bernson was attacked, was overlooked. Allen is now in jail for sexual assault. When a victim identifies an assailant, that's powerful evidence, but did investigators completely drop the ball on Stephen Avery? Because, frankly, the case, of the rape case, reminds me a great deal of David Milgard's case in Canada. Well, eyewitness identification is fraught with difficulty, and all too often uh, police and prosecutors rely on eyewitness identification uh, to uh, focus on a particular suspect, and as it turns out in Avery's case, and turns out often in other cases, both in the United States and Canada, eyewitness identification turns out to be wrong. And cases that are built primarily on eyewitness identification uh, are problematic. They give rise to wrongful convictions, all, I shouldn't say all the time, but often. Specifically, what is it, and we talk about Stephen Avery now, what is it specifically that troubles you most about how the investigation, the police investigation, and how the trial um, developed? Well, that's a difficult and large question. The Stephen Avery case itself is uh, problematic because uh, a police force that was the subject of um, a civil suit that Avery brought um, and, and, and where it appeared that several of the officers that were impugned were going to be um, uh, called on the carpet uh, became the force that investigated and, and uh, uh, assisted in the prosecution of his second charge, the murder charge. Right. I mean, I mean, how would you assess the work of the police department and the justice department in the first case, the, the, the rape case? Oh, in the first case? Yes. Well, in the first case, as I said before, I think police and prosecutors made the mistake of relying on the victim's eyewitness identification of Avery. The, as I understand it, the lineup procedure was flawed, mm -hmm. and once Avery became the suspect, the police stopped looking at other individuals who lived in the area who were better suspects if it hadn't been for the faulty identification. So, so he's, he's in prison for 18 years, um, didn't make police look good, or the prosecutors in Wisconsin look good, and the theory is, now we now move forward to the second case, the one who was initially charged with the murder and then convicted of, that there was some interest in getting even by prosecutors and that's what led to the murder charge and the conviction of Avery and the death of Teresa Hallback. Um, do you place credence in that? Uh, I, I watched the series, and I, I, thought, I found it fascinating. I can't conclude one way or the other uh, whether the police, in fact, um, framed Mr. Avery or participated in um, constructing a false case against him. But I can say this. I thought that the defense lawyers unearthed evidence that raised significant doubts as to his guilt. And based on what I saw, I myself would have had a reasonable doubt as to his guilt. And a reasonable doubt leads to acquittal. That, that's my personal feeling. Um, I'm not in a position to answer definitively whether the police um, 
played dirty with respect to the Avery prosecution. There's a lot of personal opinion. There's a lot of uh, individual detective work being done by by, by people watching the series, people who, uh, either individually or sometimes in groups, from what I've been reading, and people who get together on social media to, to, to debate the, the, uh, the uh, Stephen Avery case. So we have Teresa Hallback, a photographer who took pictures of the Avery family's junkyard. Um, he, Avery, was the last person to see Hallback alive. Her SUV was hidden on the Avery property and had Avery's blood in it while a bullet with Teresa Hallback's DNA was located in Stephen Avery's garage, and the spare keys to the SUV were located in Avery's trailer. Sounds like a slam-dunk case, particularly when DNA evidence is entered not only once but twice. But the documentary almost screams conspiracy against Avery. Um, well, every, every one of the pieces of evidence that you just described is fraught with difficulties, yeah. I recall. Um, the key in the trailer is problematic because, it, as I understand, it wasn't found uh, on several of the uh, early searches of the trailer and just happened to be found, according to the police, on a subsequent visit. Uh, a lot of it doesn't make sense. But, you know, people should um, step back from the particular circumstances of Stephen Avery and ask and come to realize that the phenomenon of wrongful convictions is uh, is unfolding before uh, in the justice system, both in the United States and Canada, all the time. And the various things that we see in the Avery case are just examples of the sorts of things that plague our justice system across our country. It's it's worrisome when, for example, as you either watch on or read on and 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 track track along with the case. So those. Items that I mentioned, they sound like slam dunk items in a trial, but then, as you said, they're all fraught with difficulty. And then there's the um, the blood vial of Stephen Avery's that came into play, a vial which had been retained since his arrest for the rape he didn't commit in 1985 and which appeared to be compromised, uh, a puncture size of a hypodermic needle in the top of the vial, which the county lab said it wasn't responsible for. And the thinking is that his blood could easily have been planted uh, in that SVU, SUV from that vial. Uh, is there too much well, amateur detective work going on? Well, there's nothing amateurish about that. I mean, that's a fact, as I understand it. And again, I'm only going on the basis of my viewing of the, of the show. It, the dis- defense lawyers discovered that this vial of, lo- of blood had, in fact, been punctured by somebody. And there was no... I, I didn't see in the, uh, in the documentary how the prosecution and the police explained that hole in the top of the vial, but it calls, the, it calls into question the validity of the finding of blood, in, uh, of his blood, in her car. Um, and, and so that's just an example of something that happened that, ra- that raises questions about the integrity of the investigation and the integrity of the prosecution, all of which raises a doubt as to his guilt. Uh, Mr. Silverstein, please stay with us. It's the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Making a Murderer is the uh, is the series on Netflix. It uh, if you have a um, if you have a view, if you have a point of view on whether Stephen Avery is not guilty or guilty, triple eight two two five eight two five five. It's a question you have about something that you've seen. Same number, triple eight two two five eight two five five in Toronto, four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. We'll come back with the co-president of Aidwick. The Association in Defense of the Wrongfully Convicted in Canada, Russell Silverstein, lawyer in Toronto. It's The Green Show. Stay with us. 
Award-winning broadcaster Roy Green is keeping you company on your weekend. This is The Roy Green Show across the Chorus Radio Network. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. And remember, you can listen back or download any segment we air at RoyGreenShow.com on the webpage in the podcast. Russell Silverstein is with me, criminal lawyer in Toronto, co-president of AIDWIC, the Association in Defense of the Wrongfully Convicted in Canada. And we're talking to Mr. Silverstein about the Stephen Avery case, which, um, I mean, there are, I think there's over 100,000 people now who have signed a petition asking for either a pardon for Stephen Avery or at least a, a retrial. Is there enough, Mr. Silverstein, from what you've seen, and you've seen the series and you've looked at it as a criminal lawyer and a co-president of Aidwick, is there enough in this case from what you've seen to at least have piqued your interest in perhaps a word in Canada uh, to get Aidwick engaged? Oh, um, look... You know, we at Aidwick have a lot of cases on our plate right now that we're investigating. Um, I don't think Stephen Avery needs our help. There are lots of organizations in the United States who do the kind of work we do and can come to his assistance. And no, I, 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 I understand that. I'm just saying, hypothetically, oh. um, if you were in Canada, if it were a Canadian case, and you were watching this, and you were watching it as a, as a viewer, and you were watching it as a criminal lawyer, and as a member of AIDWIC, would you say to yourself, perhaps this is one that we should investigate? Is there enough there to make you, to make you feel that way? No, absolutely. If Stephen Avery uh, came to us, uh, having been convicted in Canada, and the situation were the same, yes, we would investigate this. We would look for fresh evidence to demonstrate his innocence, fresh evidence to demonstrate that uh, the, the problems hinted at and indeed uncovered by his defense lawyers were actually uh, uh, true problems. You know, there were problems with that blood vial. The FBI tested for a preservative that was uh, that they said was not in the blood, which would have been in the blood had it been found, had it been taken from the vial. But there were problems with that evidence, and that's the sort of thing that we would try to dig deeper into. Is there a sense then? Let's come back to the police department involved. There was a lawsuit of thirty-six million dollars by Stephen Avery, who was not a nice person. Um, let's not make, not make no mistakes about that. He's not a nice person. Um, is there enough concern that the police department may have been actively engaged in trying to create the dynamic for a guilty verdict in the murder charge? In which well, case, it means well, somebody else is yes, guilty. There is, there is a concern, of course. I mean, that's the whole point of the program, and, and the program makes the point well that there are reasons to suspect that the police did not investigate the matter uh, properly, uh, objectively, and independently. And those questions are never answered definitively, but there are problems. But as I understand uh, it, as I understand it, as you, and I'm looking forward to seeing this whole series, as I understand it, you have to believe the defense, and you have to believe the film which the prosecutor says is wrong, and I don't know, they've asked him if he's going to maybe sue the pros- or the producers. He hasn't said whether he will or not. But the producer, the, the prosecutor is saying, this was not an objective presentation of the case. Well, the prosecutor is saying that, but the defense lawyers are saying that it was indeed uh, uh, quite representative of the evidence that was called. Remember, uh, this case took, I don't remember how many 
weeks or months it took to try, but it, you can't present every piece of evidence to the viewers. No. You know, this is condensed into a 10-hour television uh, series, and you've got to leave some stuff out. Now, whether the producers of this film left out important inculpatory uh, information, I doubt it, frankly, because it's not the sort of thing you could get away with. When I'm talking about that bullet that was found in the garage, the um, the prosecutor, Kratz, says police could not have planted the bullet, and that's what's been suggested, with Ms. Hallback's DNA, and which was found in the garage. Kratz says the bullet had to be fired before Avery's property was searched, so he adds this, that the cops borrow his gun, fire a bullet, recover the bullet before planting the SUV, then hang on to the bullet for four months in case they needed to plant it four months later. That sound viable to you? Well, you're taxing my recollection of, of the of the program. I, I'm not in a position to argue um, the, the the defense position with respect to that bullet because I I, I just don't remember it well enough, frankly. Fair enough. But I, uh, what I do recall is that the way the evidence was presented in the television program left me concerned as to the as to the reliability of the of the evidence. <clears throat> I can't remember exactly why. One thing I springs to mind is it was the prosecution's theory that she was murdered in that garage. They didn't find a speck of her blood anywhere in that garage. And had she been killed in that garage, um, one would expect them to have found some of her blood there. But they didn't. Are there any cases, we have a minute left, uh, are there cases that you're working on in Aidwick now in Canada that we might be hearing about in the near future? Absolutely. There are always cases that we're working on. There are, uh, they're in various stages of review. And if you keep your eyes and ears tuned to the media, you'll see that uh, we will continue to um, exonerate people every year as time goes on who are convicted of crimes they didn't commit. Yeah, I am the media. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> and 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 your office well, then, is in. Well, then, and your yeah. office is constantly in touch with me, so I I know what you guys are doing. Okay. Well, good. Then uh, you know the answer to the question. Well, I don't know what's going on currently, and I always anticipate that you'll have something of great interest for us going forward, well, Mr. Silverstein. I'm not, to, I'm not in a position to name names. But no, no, I, I know you're not. Murder prosecutes several people who have been convicted of murder who we feel were wrongly convicted, and we are in various stages of preparing their cases for okay. presentation to the Minister of Justice. All right. Well, I've talked to a couple of them uh, who were released after Aidwick's intervention. Just in the last year, I've had several guests on the show. Uh, thank you for joining us today. All the very best to you. Absolutely. Bye. Russell Silverstein is the co-president of Aidwick. Did I upset him? Uh, the Association in Defense of the Wrongfully Convicted. We'll come back. I'm going to tell you a bit about the next hour. has to do with Donald Trump and a gut check question. I'm going to be asking you about Mr. Trump, and we'll bring Mr. Trudeau into the equation. Stay with us.